This week's Parsha, Parsha's Shoftim, we learned a couple of interesting laws that I think are very relevant to our life. This week's Parsha, we learn about the commandment to establish a king over the Jewish people. What's the significance of the fact that we have a king? As Jews, I asked my kids, who's our king? And they said, Hashem, God is our king. And yet, there's also a commandment to make an actual human king over the Jewish people in the land of Israel. Uh, why? Why do we need a king? What's the significance of having a king? And also learn about uh, going to war in this week's Parsha. And I want to share with you an interesting law. It says when the Jews would arrive at, at war against an enemy, they would make an announcement as follows. Whoever built a home and hasn't let, lived in it is allowed to return home. Whoever pl planted a vineyard and hasn't yet eaten the fruit can return home. Whoever recently got married can return home. And whoever's afraid can return home. And the um, in Lithuania, in the town of Brisk, there was a Yiddish theater that was run by irreligious Jews, enlightened, so to speak, Jews. And they one time did a play making fun of the traditional Jewish army. And they, in the play, they enacted this scene of a bunch of Jews and someone said, uh, uh, soldiers, and they said, is anyone, anyone uh, just recently moved into a new house? Half the group leaves. Anyone recently planted a vineyard? Another group leaves. Anyone afraid? More people leave. And at the end, there are only two old religious Jews standing there who were honoring each other over who got to take the first shot. And um, religious Jews came to the rabbi of, of Brisk, the Briska Rav, and they said it's, 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 they were making a, a mockery of, of Judaism, and uh, it's terrible. We should protest. And the, the rabbi said to them, but everything they said in the play is true. They just left out one part. They left out the part that there's two old Jewish soldiers that were left on the battlefield actually succeeded in winning the war. Because as Jews, we believe that it's not how strong your army is, but it's in your trust in God that, that wins the battle. Um, the Talmud says, what's the point of this whole charade of asking people you know, if they planted a new vineyard or if they got married, the Talmud says, really, it's all just so that anyone who's afraid can leave without being embarrassed. They want anyone that, that doesn't believe that God will win the war is allowed to leave. And the Talmud says, what does it mean, anyone who's afraid? So one opinion means afraid of battle. Another opinion says, no, it actually means afraid of their sins. Anyone who's afraid of the sins that they did. And the Talmud gives an example of what sin it's talking about that would entitle one to leave the battlefront. It says, speaking between putting on their tefillin of their arm and their tefillin of their head. We, we don't speak when we put on our tefillin between the blessing we make on the arm and then putting on the, the tefillin on the head. And that's a very minor sin, so to speak. So essentially what the Talmud saying is that anyone who has any sin, even a very minor sin, should not be fighting the battle. But the Kotzka Rebbe, great Hasidic master, asks a question. He says, 
that in earlier in the parsha, it says Shema Yisrael, listen, Israel, and it talks about the the approaching battle. And Rashi says the commentaries say on that, listen, Israel, even if you have no merit other than that you say Shema Yisrael, that you say the Shema, the Jewish pledge of allegiance, where we declare God's unity. If that's the only merit you have, you are still worthy that Hashem will save you in battle. Says the Kutzkarebi, this seems like a contradiction. In one place it says that unless you have no sins, not even a small minor sin of talking between your tefillin, you have to go home. You, you should not be fighting the battle. You, you, you're not able to fight. And on the other hand, it says that even if you have no merits at all, you're almost completely not righteous. All you do is you say the Shema, that's enough reason to be saved. So says the Katsuka Rebbe, it's very simple. There are two ways to win a war. You can win a war with perfection when you don't have any sins. And then Hashem will protect you and you'll win. Or you can win the war trusting in Hashem with simple faith of simply saying the Shema, recognizing that Hashem is behind everything that happens in your life. And that can be applied to every challenge in our life. We can go into our challenges thinking that we're going to win based on our intelligence and our experience and based on our business acumen and based on our connections. And then Hashem says, you want to do it based on yourself? You can do it on your own. Or we can do it based on our merits and our righteousness. In which case, good luck, because I certainly don't have enough merits to, uh, to win based on my merits alone. Or we can go in just on the fact that we say the Shema, that we don't have merits. And we don't have intelligence and strength and money. But we have faith in God. And that, and that simple faith of trusting that Hashem will help us, is the way that we get out of any problem that we're having in our life. And that's really the Jewish approach to waging war. So what's the significance of all this in regards to the mitzvah of appointing a king over the Jewish people? So I believe it's as follows. That the idea of a king, the Kabbalists point out, the word in Hebrew for king, melech, is made up of three Hebrew letters, Mem, Lamed, and Kaf. And this is, they spell out an acronym for the Hebrew word Mem, spells, is, stands for Moach, which means brain. Lamed stands for Lev, which means heart. And Kaf stands for Kavid, which means liver, which according to ancient understanding, the, the liver is the seat of the physicality of the body. So says the Kabbalist, a king is someone who rules from the mind down. The mind rules over the heart and the emotions, which in turn inspire the body. And there are those that live the opposite, that their body controls their emotions, which controls their mind. And that spells out the Hebrew word kalem, which means destruction. That if a person wants to be a king over themselves, they have to learn to live their life based on their values based on their intellect, and then let their intellect inspire their emotions, which lead to action. Most people in the world take bribes. This week's Parsha talks about not taking bribes. It says that bribes 
blind the eyes of the wise and pervert the righteous. What does that mean? That when a person takes a bribe, right, a judge, specifically talking about a judge in the Parsha, someone takes a bribe from one of the litigants in a case, suddenly they, they no longer see the case clearly. And they begin to skew reality because of their self-interest. But the reality is that we all take bribes. There are Jewish leaders who would not abdicate from sitting on a case because they once received a present from one of the litigants or they once had a pleasant conversation with one of the litigants. You see, as soon as you have a vested interest in the case, you are no longer impartial. And in reality, we all take bribes on a regular basis. I asked someone the other day, I said, you know, when you're trying to find a date someone and you want to know if it's a good match for you, who knows you the best in this world? I said, uh, myself. Right? And uh, in some ways, it's true. We do know certain things about ourselves, but the reality is that it's very false. Because who is the worst person in the world to give yourself advice about something where you have a vested interest? The answer is you. When you're dating someone, who's the worst person in the world to know whether or not it's a good match? It's you. Because all your friends and your relatives can see that it's a terrible match. And I'm sure you've had a situation where you have a friend who dated someone that was terrible fit, either abusive or just nothing, nothing made sense. And yet everyone saw it except for them. And the answer is, why is that? Because they were bribed by their body and by their emotions. They were getting pleasure from the experience and therefore their mind was shutting down. They weren't able to see reality. They were blinded from reality. So in order to make proper decisions, we have to think from the brain down. We have to be able to rule over our emotions and over our body by figuring out what's true and what's right and let that give way to our decisions. In this week's Parsha, there's another amazing, amazing, very puzzling statement. It says that you have to listen to the rabbis, listen to the judges, listen to the leaders of the Jewish people, the Torah sages of your time. And it says, do not sway to the right or to the left of what they tell you. And the Talmud tells us, even if they tell you that your right is left or your left is right, you still have to listen to them. Now, that is a mind-boggling statement because in Judaism, like we just said, we pride ourselves over our intellectuality, over our ability to seek truth and look at things for what they really are. So how can we say that if your rabbi tells you your right is left, you should believe him? How can we go against our own understanding of reality? The answer is, is that because our own understanding of reality is always distorted based on our own self-interest. Therefore, we need an objective third party. We need a rabbi. Someone who's a little bit above us, who's seen the big picture, who's ex more experienced in life, who has a better understanding of truth to guide us in our way, in our decisions. Because we are the last person who is able to really see things with clarity when it comes to us. We're all experts in other each other's flaws. I can see all of your flaws, but I can't see my own because I'm blinded by my own self-interest. Uh, my my colleague pointed out that when you talk to somebody and I'm, I'm telling you that this is your right arm and I'm pointing with my right arm at your right side, you know what that really is? That's your left arm because it's all about perspective and we need to always have someone else 
in our life to see outside of our narrow-minded perspective to show us a different perspective. That's the idea of having a rabbi. And the idea of a Jewish king is a leader who is selfless, who is completely devoted to guiding the people in, in closeness to God. And really, our job is to become a king over, over ourselves. And that's the message of tefillin. We said that if a soldier is going to war, he sin that would exempt him is something so small as talking between his arm to fill in and his head to fill in. What's why are we talking about it there? So when 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 uh, in in the Talmud when King David I believe went to war, he wanted to test his soldiers whether or not they were worthy to going to battle. So he brought them to a stream to drink, and the soldiers that reached into the water with their heads and drank like a dog, he he kicked them out of the army. Those who picked up the water and drank like a man were able to stay in the army. Again, the significance is who was able to recognize that the mind has to be in charge, not to be like an animal. Animals walk with their head on the same level as their body because really they're not controlled by their head. They're controlled by, their head is controlled by their body. But a human being, the head is upright. There aren't many creatures like that. I mean, perhaps giraffes maybe certain apes, but f but humans are unique in the animal kingdom that we're completely upright, that our head is above our body, which symbolizes the, the necessity of putting your mind above your your emotions. And that's the significance of tefillin. Tefillin, the message of tefillin is that we wrap tefillin around among, on the head and then the straps go into the heart and the box from the heart touches the arm and goes flows out. The message is that our mind should descend into our heart, which should, should descend into our actions, that we should live with total integrity with the mind on top like a king. And the, and the message that the Talmud is telling us is someone who speaks between his arm and his head is essentially not recognizing the interconnection and the necessity for the head to be ruling over the arm. This time of year, we begin the process of preparing for Rosh Hashanah. And on Rosh Hashanah, we mamlech Hashem, we make Hashem the melech, we anoint God, we, have, we coronate God as the king of the universe. As, and essentially what we do on Rosh Hashanah is we think about how we can be part of God's mission. How can we nullify our bodily desires for the big picture? And that's the idea of being a subject, subjugating ourselves to the kingship and the rulership and the kingdom of, of Hashem's master plan. So it's a time when we're anointing Hashem as our king. And we refer to this time period as Rosh Hashanah, which literally means the head of the year, because it's a time when we recognize our big picture values and vision of who we want to be. What do we want to accomplish? Where do we want to help bring the world to the next level? And that is the message of this time. So we can begin by connecting in our own mind to our values and our vision, and then begin to figure out how we can be part of the big picture value vision for humanity and then to send that over our body and learn how to control our body and helping us to take one step closer to making that vision into a reality. Thank you so much for listening.